All right. Hope everyone's doing well on this 7th of March 2020. This is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain. And uh, just wanted to come in and say hi and uh, get you some important information about what's going on with uh, COVID-19 and uh, all that kind of stuff. But of course, as usual, please let me know if I've got Boomer Echo Planet going on or if anything else is going odd in the uh, sound situation. And sound is good. Colors are great. Yeah, I've given up on vanity and I'm just going to have a good camera, (laughs) no matter how spotty it makes me look. All right. Sound is good. Colors are great. Thank you very much. Let's get straight into it. What is going on in the land of COVID-19, coronavirus, the Kung flu, whatever you want to Corona Chan, whatever you want to call it. So let's start with, now remember, I'm not a doctor here. I'm just passing the information along. I will put sources to this in the video as a whole, uh, the video notes as a whole. Okay, so this is useful, actual useful useful COVID-19 advice from James Robb, who is um, one of the first molecular virologists in the world to work on coronaviruses. This is being circulated by NHS doctors. And uh, this is important. So, um, one, no handshaking. Okay, that's kind of a gross habit that you think would have gone out with the Black Death. So, no handshaking. Use a fist bump, a slight bow, elbow bump, etc. Use only your knuckle to touch light switches, elevator buttons, etc. Lift the gasoline dispenser with a paper towel or use a disposable glove. I'm a big one for, I call it the tent pregnancy, which is where you do take a piece of your a shirt, wear a baggy shirt, wear a piece of your shirt to open doors and so on. I've been doing that for years because, I mean, if you do this kind of work on a regular basis, then, uh, of course, what happens is you end up with, uh, well, you lose a lot of productivity if you get sick. So um, just please just try and keep this stuff away from uh, all of this, uh, these germs away from your system. Open doors with your closed fist or hip. Do not grasp the handle with your hand unless there is no other way to open the door, especially important on bathroom, post office, slash commercial doors. Okay, this is a basic thing that you need to get a hold of. And I shouldn't laugh because serious stuff. So if you go to the bathroom, there's like horrifying statistics on the number of people who don't wash their hands after they go to the bathroom. Now, those people, they've been holding their (laughs) wee willy winkle, their twigs and berries or their snug harbor or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and, and then they go straight out and they grab the door handle. And there's just all kinds of horrifying stuff. Don't forget to wash your phones, your keyboard, uh, all this kind of stuff, especially if you've got other people using stuff. So that's important as well. Um, use disinfectant wipes at the stores when they are available, including wiping the handle and child seat and grocery carts. Very important. Wash your hands with soap for 10 to 20 seconds. So this is a twinkle, twinkle, little star, that kind of stuff, right? Use a greater than 60% alcohol-based hand sanitizer whenever you return home from any activity that involves locations where other people have been. Keep a bottle of sanitizer available at each of your home's entrances and in your car for use after getting gas or touching other contaminated objects when you can't immediately wash your hands. If possible, cough or sneeze into a disposable tissue and discard. Use your elbow only if you have to, right? Do you know that, that kind of thing, right? The clothing on your elbow will contain infectious viruses that can be passed on for up to a week or more. Uh, in, in related news, please don't wear the same clothes for a week or more. 
Okay, stocking. Uh, one, latex or nitrile latex disposable gloves for use when going shopping, using the gasoline pump, and all other outside activity when you come in contact with contaminated areas. This virus is spread in large droplets by coughing and sneezing. This means that the air will not infect you, but all the surfaces where these droplets land are infectious for about a week on average. Everything that is associated with infected people will be contaminated and potentially infectious. The virus is on surfaces and you will not be infected unless your unprotected face is directly coughed or sneezed upon. This virus only has cell receptors for lung cells. It can only infect your lungs. The only way for the virus to infect you is through your nose or mouth, via your hands or an infected cough or sneeze, onto or into your nose or mouth. Stock up now with disposable surgical masks and use them to prevent you from touching your nose and or mouth. We touch our uh, nose slash mouth 90 times a day, or for me, 90 times a minute when I'm doing a live stream, without knowing it. This is the only way the virus can infect you. It is lung-specific. The mask will not prevent the virus in direct sneeze from getting into your nose or mouth. It is only to keep you from touching your nose or mouth. So stock up with zinc lozenges. These have been proven to be effective in blocking coronavirus and most, as most other viruses from multiplying in your throat and nasopharynx. I thought, wasn't that an Egyptian ruler? Use as directed several times each day when you begin to feel any cold-like symptoms beginning. It is best to lie down and let the lozenges dissolve in the back of your throat and nasopharynx. Coldies lozenges is one brand available, but there are other brands available. So um, these are useful tips and, you know, be, be, feel free to be paranoid. Uh, I wrote last night on Twitter, sorry, this was confusing to a lot of people. I said that uh, pandemics, are, are, pandemics are a life tax on the statistically illiterate. So once the pandemic has really spread, and we'll get into some of these numbers in a few minutes, but once the pandemic has really spread, then, uh, well, everyone else has figured it out. You want to be first in line to get the stuff. You can see these videos online of people fighting over toilet paper uh, in, in this bloody Russell Crowe style Roman gladiatorial combat. So uh, don't, don't wait till then, right? So by the time, we'll know in a couple of weeks, you know, fingers crossed, it's not a huge deal. And uh, all of that, but um, better safe than sorry, as the old saying goes. If uh, you prep and you stock up with, particularly with food, um, if if you're wrong, well, you get to eat your mistakes. No big harm, right? You just bought a bunch of food which you can eat over time. But um, if 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 you're right and the other people are wrong, they got nothing to eat, right? Okay, I try not to be a vengeful karma guy. I really do. I really, really do. But there are times when uh, that becomes, well, <laughs> just a little bit tricky to do. So. The head of Italy's Democratic Party has tested positive for the coronavirus as his government prepares new measures, including extending quarantine areas to deal with the outbreak. Italy has, and it's pretty much by far, the biggest outbreak in Europe. And uh, his center-left party is the second biggest in Italy's coalition government. It has a hard-left socialist communist history back in the day. So, yeah, open borders guy reaps all of the delightful fruits of open borders borders. Now, there has been some question of what's going on in Africa. Africa, of course, lacking significantly as a continent in general, with the exception of certain places in South Africa, a very strong public infrastructure or even private infrastructure for healthcare. So the number of African countries that have confirmed cases of the novel coronavirus has climbed to eight after Togo confirmed its first case. The case in Togo is a 42-year-old woman who tested positive Upon her return from a trip to France, Germany, Turkey, and Benin, uh, unfortunately, she tested negative for viable eggs. South Africa's second case 
in direct contact with the first as part of the group of 10 traveling back from Italy who have been traced and are being tested and isolated. The government says South Africa is getting information out about the situation quickly. It helps a lot. So there's a confirmation of a second case of COVID-19 in South Africa. Governor IGE, I'm not an IGE, IGE, confirms Hawaii has its first case of COVID-19. The person infected is a Hawaii, Hawaii resident who was on the Grand Princess cruise ship. This is in Australia. This is not good. This is not good. A doctor in Victoria has been diagnosed with coronavirus. After returning from the U.S. with flu-like symptoms, he treated patients for five days before his diagnosis and visited a nursing home, forcing more than 70 people into self-quarantine. Now, this, this kind of crap should not be happening. This should not be happening at all. And, you know... When you are in the situation where you have, oh, I don't know, flu-like symptoms during a pandemic of a very dangerous coronavirus, I don't know, maybe take a couple of days off from work. Maybe, just maybe, that would be, uh, be kind of helpful. Now, uh, this is as of yesterday, obviously a little bit higher now. Coronavirus cases have now passed 100,000 worldwide. More than half have now recovered. 90-plus countries have reported cases. 90-plus countries have reported cases. As of yesterday, six new countries reported cases, and at least 3,400 people have died, mostly in China. This is just from seven hours ago. The number of confirmed cases in Germany spikes overnight to 684. A second lawmaker in Iran has died after contracting the virus. Things you try not to smile over. China reports a decrease in new cases. (laughs) Okay, I mean, so those of you who are trying to take the pulse of this virus, so to speak, you got to remember that not only are there strong political incentives in China to underreport, but also that as the healthcare system gets overwhelmed and as testing begins to become more challenging, you can't trust the numbers. I mean, you can't trust the numbers from a communist country Anyway, but in particular now. Yeah, and I'll put uh, this was Raheem Kassam, the most excellent tweeter pointed out an Australian supermarket fight over toilet paper. This is what happens when people roll their eyes and go, it's just the flu for two months. And they realize it's not just about the sickness, right? The flu is not the major issue. The coronavirus is not the major issue at the moment. Okay, let's go into more detail. This is from a woman named Liz Specht. Specht. I don't know how to pronounce that. German? Anyway. So let's run through this. And again, I'll put the links below um, and I'm sure somebody will has thread rolled this. Okay. Let's run through this. You really, really need to understand this. This really should affect your travel plans uh, at, at the moment. So she wrote this. I think most people aren't aware of the risk of systemic healthcare failure due to COVID-19 because they simply haven't run the numbers yet. Let's talk math. Okay, so uh, Brian Williams, um, there's a there's a coloring book in the corner for you. By the way, don't forget to check out my debate tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I will be broadcasting it on this very channel live. So this is what Liz says. Let's conservatively assume that there are 2,000 current cases in the U.S. today, March 6th. This is yesterday. This is, and she's very conservative with her numbers. 
So I guess that means she's racist to leftists. Anyway, this is about eight times the number of confirmed lab-diagnosed cases, right? So she says, let's conservatively assume 2,000 current cases in the U.S. We know that there is substantial under-diagnosis due to the lack of test kits. I'll address implications later of under-overestimate. Okay, 2,000 current cases in the U.S., eight times the number of confirmed cases, and it's underdiagnosed because of a lack of test kits. Okay. This is what Liz says. We can expect that we will continue to see a doubling of cases every six days. This is a typical doubling time across several epidemi- uh, epidemiological studies. Here, I mean actual cases. Confirmed cases may appear to rise faster in the short term due to new test kit rollouts, right? So there's sort of three layers that you need to work with here when you're evaluating these numbers. The first is, well, from uh, actual to least credible. The actual is the number of people who are infected. Now, the second is the number of people who are reported to be infected. And the third are the number of people confirmed by the government when the government runs the healthcare system as it does in China, uh, confirmed. So, So she says, we can expect that we'll continue to see a doubling of cases every six days. And this is what I mean when I say that uh, a pandemic is a life tax on statistical illiteracy. You've got to understand what it means. Say, oh, it's only six days, doubling every six days. People think it's like 12 times. No, 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 doubling every six days, right? So if there are 2,000 current cases in the U.S. as of March the 6th, how many, if you um, double the cases every six days, how many do you get by the end of April out of 2,000? Oh, let me just dip into the chat here. What do you think? What do you think? Well, it's, uh, it's pretty bad. It's, uh, it's pretty bad. So if the cases double every six days, you start with 2,000 as of March the 6th. By the end of April, you have 1 million U.S. cases. Just in the U.S. 1 million U.S. cases. By about May the 5th, That's end of April, 2 million, sorry, 1 million by the end of April. By May 5th, right, end of April to May 5th is six days. It's a doubling. So 2 million by May 5th, 4 million by May 11th, and so on. Exponentials are hard to grasp, but this is how they go. So you, you, I hope it doesn't happen. But, you know, Liz is a very smart young lady and, um, this is conservative estimates. It could be worse. It could be better, obviously. There's no way to know, but you've got to make your predictions. Okay. So when we start to look that by May 11th, right, just a couple months from now, we may have 4 million cases just in the U.S. because these same numbers occur worldwide as well. As the healthcare system, says Liz, begins to saturate under this caseload, it will become increasingly hard to detect, track, and contain new transmission chains. In absence of extreme interventions, this likely won't slow significantly until hitting well over 1% of the susceptible population. Okay, so you got to think what, a million, two million, four million, eight million, whatever. What does this, uh, a caseload of this size mean for healthcare systems in America? or anywhere for that matter. So Liz says, we'll examine just two factors, hospital beds and masks, among, among many, many other things that will be impacted. So she's just going to talk about the effect of this on hospital beds and masks. The U.S., she says, has about 2.8 hospital beds per 1,000 people, with a population of 330 million. This is about 1 million beds. 
At any given time, in America, 65% of those beds are already occupied. This leaves about 330,000 beds available nationwide, perhaps a bit fewer this time of year with regular flu season, etc. So let's trust Italy's numbers. We have some data coming in from Italy, the worst outbreak, I believe, in, in Europe, right? So Liz says, let's trust Italy's numbers and assume that about 10% of cases are serious enough to require hospitalization. Keep in mind, she says, that for many patients, hospitalization lasts for weeks. In other words, turnover will be very slow as beds fill with COVID-19 patients. By this estimate, by about May 8th, all open hospital beds in the U.S. will be filled. This says nothing, of course, she says, about whether these beds are suitable for isolation of patients with a highly infectious virus. Right, this is important. Not all of these beds are quarantine beds. Very few of them, I assume, would be. So this is what's important to understand about the math that Liz is talking about here. So she says, if we're wrong by a factor of two regarding the fraction of severe cases that only changes the timeline of bed saturation by six days in either direction. So really, really understand this, right? So by going by the Italian numbers... Liz is saying only one out of 10 patients requires hospitalization. And she says, look, let's run it both ways. Let's double it and let's halve it. So she says, if 20% of cases require hospitalization, America runs out of beds by about May the 2nd. If only 5% of cases require hospitalization, we can make it until about May 14th. Please understand this. At 10%, right, at 10% hospitalization you make it to May 8th. At 20%, you run out on May 2nd. If you only need 5% hospitalization rates, or if there are only 5% hospitalization rates, you make it to May 14th. So a, a, um, a 5% to 20% hospitalization spread is a spread of less than two weeks in terms of when the hospital beds fill up. Now, this, of course, assumes, she says, that there is no uptick in demand for beds from other non-COVID-19 causes, which seems like a dubious assumption. All right. So, and, and this is, I dated an engineer. <laughs> I'm not an engineer, but I played one. Actually, no, I just dated one, a woman who was an engineer. I know this kind of thinking. One of my best friend's wives is an engineer. I know this kind of thinking with lots of conversations about this. So, this is this playing out of these scenarios is what engineers do, and it's why houses stay up and bridges stay up and, and your electricity gets delivered, well, for now. So this is what she says. As healthcare systems become increasingly burdened, prescription shortages, etc., people with chronic conditions that are normally well-managed may find themselves slipping into severe states of medical distress requiring intensive care and hospitalization. Right. This is is so important because we live in this weird fantasy world based on debt and and fiat currency. We live in this weird fantasy world of infinite resources. Resources are finite. Human desires are infinite. And I I thought about this like when I was uh, when I had cancer and I was taking my radiation and chemotherapy treatment. Can you imagine if I mean, hopefully we'll only have to imagine it, but I'm sure this will be the case that people who are requiring that kind of intensive care or, or treatment, what's going to happen when the hospital gets swallowed up 
with COVID-19 patients? What happens when people are getting very close management of diabetes or, or heart disease or liver disease or kidney disease or you name it? And what about all the people who were like, oh, man, I got a weird lump. I better go to the doctor, right? So there's a, a push-out effect, an eclipse effect, right? Like what happens to everyone else who needs the healthcare system when this bulge pushes everything else aside? I mean, just think of the people who need dialysis. What is going to happen to them in these situations? Okay, so she says, but let's ignore that for now. Now, that's, you know, that's, that's never a good thing when an engineer says, okay, there's a complete disastrous scenario, but let's ignore that for now. That's because there's something else, right? So she says, all right, so that's beds. Now, masks. Feds say we have a national stockpile of 12 million N95 masks and 30 million surgical masks, which are not ideal, but better than nothing. So you say, wow, 12 million, 30 million, that's a lot. Well, uh, it's not. It's really not. So she says there are about 18 million healthcare workers in the U.S. Let's assume only 6 million healthcare workers are working on any given day. This is likely an underestimate as most people work most days of the week. But again, I'm playing conservative at every turn. As COVID-19 cases saturate virtually every state and country and county, which seems likely to happen any day now, it will soon be irresponsible for any healthcare worker to not wear a mask. So what does this mean? Well, 6 million healthcare workers, 12 million good masks and 30 million meh, meh masks, right? So healthcare workers will burn through N95 masks, the stockpile of N95 masks in two days. If each healthcare worker only got one mask per day. Two days. That is what your wonderful, lovely government has got set up for you for this kind of issue. With lots of warning. With lots of warning about what was going to come. But you see, without the government, who will keep us safe, right? So Liz says, with regards to these N95 masks, uh, one per day would be neither sanitary nor pragmatic. Though this is indeed what we saw in Wuhan, with healthcare workers collapsing on their shift from dehydration because they were trying to avoid changing their PPE, I think that's personal protection suits, as they cannot be reused. How quickly? So, of course, there's a massive shortage. If you run out in two days of the good masks, and what is it, five days with the bad masks? But you need more masks. Right. So the engineer says, OK, well, we're going to be short. We need more masks. So what happens? She says, well, how quickly could we ramp up production of new masks? Not very fast at all. The vast majority of these masks are manufactured overseas, almost all in China. Yeah, there's all the supply chain stuff I was talking about months ago. Even when manufactured here in the U.S., the raw materials for these masks are predominantly from overseas. Again, predominantly from China. China. Like Newman. Keep in mind, reminds us, Liz, keep in mind that all countries globally will be going through the exact same crises and shortages simultaneously. We can't force trade in our favor. Well, you can outbid, I suppose. But of course, the government will probably swoop in and accuse everyone of price gouging and so on. So, Liz says, in this relentless reality of, of, hellscape of, of mathematical facts. 
She says, now consider how these two factors, bed and mask shortages, compound each other's severity. Full hospitals, plus few masks, plus healthcare workers running around between beds without proper protection equipment equals a very bad mix. So are you grokking this? Are you following this? Do you get this? Full hospitals, very few masks, and healthcare workers running around between beds without proper personal protection equipment. So this is what I talked about in one of my very first videos about coronavirus quite some time ago, which is when your healthcare system is no longer able to prevent the spread of an illness but becomes a causal agent in the spread of that illness, then it is then working against the very health of the people there. So let's say uh, when I was going through um, a chemotherapy, I was immunocompromised, right? So they said, you got to watch out for infections, you got to watch out for sore throats, because this thing is going to nuke your immune system, right? So if you're in a hospital, and you've got nurses, uh, doctors, uh, other healthcare workers, um, running from patient to patient with their out proper personal protection equipment, then they are facilitating the spread of the illness. And your healthcare system is now working against you rather than working for you. So Liz, and I really do appreciate her putting all of this together. And I hope that you will spread this information, please. I mean, if you find me too controversial, don't worry, just forget about me. Uh, share Liz's uh, information uh, and or just talk about it with people. Make sure people understand this. Now, Liz goes on to say, healthcare workers are already getting infected, even with access to full PPEs. In the face of PPE limitations this severe, it's only a matter of time. Healthcare workers will start dropping from the workforce for weeks at a time, leading to a shortage of healthcare workers that then further compound both issues above. <sighs> so that's, and this is just two factors out of many, many, many different factors, beds and mask shortages. She then goes on to say, we could go on and on about thousands of factors, number of ventilators, or even simple things like saline drip bags. You see where this is going. She says, importantly, I cannot stress this enough, even if I'm wrong, even very wrong about core assumptions like percentage of severe cases or current case number, it only changes the timeline by days or weeks. This is how exponential growth in an immunologically naive population works. Immunologically naive means no exposure to the prior viruses like, uh, the, the, um, like the indigenous population of North America or Central America for that matter, when they met the Portuguese, the Spanish and, and other people, the British, and they did not, the indigenous population did not have any immunity built up to smallpox. And that's wiped out in some places. I'm not obviously saying this is equivalent in terms of mortality rate, but it wiped out 90% of the natives in most locations. Uh, there's a reason why. It wasn't the bank stick, right? It wasn't the gun. It was a reason why just a couple of hundred people could take on, on populations of millions and win sometimes because the smallpox did all the work. And if it makes you feel any better or worse or whatever, the natives, well, they, they returned two things to the Europeans. One was voluntary, one was not. Uh, one was syphilis which came from the natives to the European population and decimated people, probably even including Friedrich Nietzsche, and smoking, and smoking. So well, the death count is kind of eaten. I think actually smoking has killed more people than smallpox ever did um, in terms of the Euro like indigenous versus Europeans. All right. So understand exponential growth. Remember, even if it goes from 5% to 20% of people 
needing hospitalization, you only run out of hospital beds 12 days later at 20%. So she says, undeserved panic does not does no one any good, but neither does ill-informed complacency. It's wrong to assuage the public by saying only 2% will die. People aren't adequately grasping the national and global systemic burden wrought by the swift moving of a disease. She says, I'm an engineer. This is what my mind does all day. I run back of the envelope calculations to try and estimate order of magnitude impacts. I've been on high alarm about this disease since about January the 19th after reading clinical indicators in the first papers emerging from Wuhan. Nothing in the last six weeks have dampened my alarm in the slightest, she says. To the contrary, we're seeing abject refusal of many countries to adequately respond or prepare. Of course, some of these estimates will be wrong, even substantially wrong, but I have no reason, she says, to think there'll be orders of magnitude wrong. Even if your personal risk of death is very, very low, don't mock decisions like cancelling events or closing workplaces as undue, quote, panic. These measures, she says, are the bare minimum we should be doing to try to shift the peak, to slow the rise in cases so that the healthcare systems are less overwhelmed. Each day that we can delay an extra case is a big win for the healthcare system. And yes, you really should prepare to buckle down for a bit, she says. All services and supply chains will be impacted. Why risk the stress of being ill-prepared? Worst case, she says, I'm massively wrong and you now have a huge bag of rice and black beans to burn through over the next few months and enough Robitussin to trip out. (laughs) She says, one more thought. You've probably seen multiple respected epidemiologists have estimated that 20 to 70% of the world will be infected within the next year. If you use six-day doubling rate I mentioned above, we land at about two to six billion people infected by sometime in July of this year. Yeah, I need glasses to see. That's a hyphen, not a period. Okay. So if you use a six-day doubling rate I mentioned above, we land at approximately two to six billion people infected by sometime in July of this year. She says, obviously, I think the doubling time will start to slow once a sizable fraction of the population has been infected simply because of herd immunity and a smaller susceptible population. Now, of course, the issue as well is that there is a reinfection possibility, if I remember rightly, the number is about 14% of people who could get reinfected. So this is some uh, very, very uh, serious stuff. And you need to get this information out to people. You know, I love you guys so much uh, that I will (laughs) stay up half the night and read and compile and present this information to ensure that you and your family and your friends and your children are as safe as humanly possible. So let's find out. Now, here's another thing, too. I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, but I think in the West, most women give birth in a hospital. How's that going to go? If you have a pregnancy due date over the next couple of months, I'm, I can't tell you what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm not a healthcare professional. I'm not an expert. I'm, I'm, I'm just a humble philosopher, but you got to think about that and you got to figure out what you're going to do in the case of, and what Liz is talking about here, this is not a worst case scenario. Like, well, let's, let's make it, as, she's, she's very conservative with the numbers, but with exponential growth, it doesn't matter. 
really, as you as you point out, as I pointed out, as she pointed out, it doesn't really matter. So that I think is uh, pretty pretty important. Okay, a couple of other things. I'll, I'll take some questions uh, if you want. I just love chatting with you guys in general. But uh, the, uh, Princess Cruz, this is, comes from Tommy Lauren. This is from March the 5th, so two days ago. A Princess Cruz impacted by coronavirus will dock offshore San Francisco as if that city needed any more problems. Once that spreads through the homeless community, it will be uncontrollable. Nancy Pelosi, isn't this your district? <laughs> well, they don't care about that stuff. You should really check out my documentary on uh, California. I will be putting out some more uh, episodes soon. But you can go to freedomain.com forward slash documentary, and you can uh, get that, uh, that information. Uh, it's, um, it's called Sunset in the Golden State. You can also find it, of course, on, uh, on YouTube. Let me just make sure. Is that documentary? Documentary, sorry. Yeah, freedomain.com forward slash documentaries. And uh, you can just, just scroll down. There's Fight for Freedom which is my Hong Kong documentary. I um, guess I was kind of lucky to get out there. There are there's Sunset in the Golden State and uh, 100-Year March of Philosophy in Poland, and I will aim to get some more of those documentaries done this year. But, of course, it looks like travel might be at a wee bit of a minimum these days. So let's uh, just do one or two more, and then I will take some questions. I appreciate you guys dropping by. So... This woman, and this got uh, 320,000 likes, so uh, this is from March the 2nd, but this is important because it's probably even worse now. So this woman, she calls herself Sketchy Lady. She says, I live in Seattle. I have all the symptoms of COVID-19 and have a history of chronic bronchitis. Since I work in a physical therapy clinic with many patients 65 and older and those who have chronic illnesses, I decided to be responsible and go to get tested. This is how that went. She says, I called the Corona hotline, was on hold for 40 minutes and gave up. So I looked at the CDC, Center for, Centers for, uh, Center for Disease Control, and Washington Public Health websites. They told me to see a primary care doctor, but there's no information about testing. So she says, I called two primary care doctors. One told me they don't know where to get testing and that I should not go to seek out testing. The other one told me to go to an urgent care or emergency room. I called the urgent care they also had no idea where tests are, but told me to call the hospital. I called the hospital, she said. They do not have tests, but transferred me to the COVID-19 hotline to answer any questions. Since I was transferred on a medical provider line, I actually got through. Progress! The lady with the hotline was very kind and professional and understood my concern about my own health and those at my clinic, which is currently being sanitized. However, I was told... I do not qualify for testing, and I was not given a timeline or information on current resources. So, who does qualify? Well, those who have been out of the country in the last 14 days, and those who have had contact with one of the few people who have been tested and come up positive. That's it. She says, the only way I can get treated is if my symptoms get so bad I develop pneumonia or bronchitis which is very likely in my case. Then I'll be in the ER and quarantined for several days while waiting for a test and for the results to come back. <sighs> she says, this is all incredibly frustrating because I am trying to do everything right in a system that punishes moments of, quote, weakness, like taking days off. It's also scary to know that I won't be able to get help until I need life support. To sum up, this is not contained. No one knows what the F is happening. I can't work, wash, 
your effing hands. And then she says, RF, didn't realize there was a hashtag just for little old me. Check out the above thread, hashtag coronavirus Seattle. And then she, uh, on the next day, March 3rd, she said, since this is getting attention, COVID-19 hotline, 1-800-525-0127. That's 1-800-525-0127. Don't call, she says, unless you are experiencing all symptoms or have been exposed to a case. Leave the lines open to people who need it the most. Any other questions can be answered on the CDC World Health Organization, or Washington Public Health sites. So um, someone else wrote, so my experience today was similar. I'm sick. I was all over Kirkland on the 15th. My doctor has no info on testing. Uh, PS Co. Health Department kept transferring me to emergency COVID-19 hotline, and each time they hung up on me. And... uh, it's crazy. Somebody says, Anne Maxwell says, we have hospital drive-bys in Scotland where suitable protected and trained medical staff take a swab from your mouth and throat via your car window to enable safe and speedy testing. This is wild. And of course, you know, people are blaming the Trump administration and so on. Uh, I think it was, was it John Bolton who got rid of the uh, pandemic response team and all that. So, um, and it's all government people that she's calling, right? So, yeah, that is the reality of what's going on with that kind of testing. All right. Let me just see if I had anything else to mention. Oh, yes. Uh, this is from February 29th, probably the most single important headline this week, according to Luca Delana. Luca Delana. After just one week from the outbreak, Northern Italy is already considering expanding its hospital beds capacity because one in 11 patients goes in ICU, intensive care unit. So that's the latest. I'm interested in this kind of format rather than a full presentation because it takes less time to uh, put together. Hi, everyone. Uh, fi- wow, 5,000 people dropping by to say hello. So uh, please throw some information in the chat window. Let's keep this confined as best as we can to coronavirus. Uh, yeah, please throw things in the chat. Uh, while I'm sort of waiting for those questions to come in, I wanted to talk about how how did I know, right? It's magic. Like, how, how does philosophy help you with these kinds of things? Well, so there's, there's a couple of reasons why. I mean, I've, I've been doing this show, for those of you who knew, hi. I've been doing this show for, uh, I think it's over 15 years now. And if you look back at my history of videos, I covered Ebola. I covered um, uh, a whole bunch of other outbreaks and and was always like you know not uh, not a big deal not not a huge deal uh you know bad for those involved but it's not going to go go wide so how is it that i knew that this was the big one that this was the one we were going to have to take enormously seriously and how is it that i gave my listeners advance warning of the months about all of this well life's funny coincidences so of course as you know I was in Hong Kong last fall doing a documentary wherein I interviewed the founder of their constitution, the guy who wrote their basic law. I interviewed politicians. I interviewed people on the street. I joined a protest march and uh, went down and got uh, tear gas straight into the face. And and it was really quite dramatic and exciting. But I learned quite a bit about uh, the Chinese culture. And I did a whole history lesson on how... um, Hong Kong came to be, uh, the, uh, the uh, opium wars and so on, and nothing has really changed in, in terms of the fundamental culture. So the cover-up culture in China is enormously high. I mean, one of the reasons why Hong Kong was created was because when the British attacked 
the Chinese harbors and the Chinese Navy, all of the local mandarins refused to tell the emperor how bad things were because there was such a shoot the messenger situation that uh, it uh, just was terrible. Uh, it was terrible for trying to get this kind of information across. So that I uh, understood. Now, something else that I understood was that uh, China uh, has a very high IQ population. I've talked about IQ uh, spreads across various ethnicities now for many, many years. So China has a very high IQ population. And if they have a problem, it's a real problem. Uh, and so that was also important, knowing that the largest migration uh, in, in the world, which is Chinese New Year, was occurring around the same time as the spread of this, and millions of people left the city of the outbreak just at the beginning of uh, Chinese New Year, also helped, of course. Knowing that political correctness is causing people to focus more on potential issues of, quote, racism, you've got the World Health Organization putting out lots of reminders to not call it the Chinese virus, so to not talk about Chinese origins in particular, and to not stigmatize people who are ill with it and so on. And so this political correctness, which was around when I started the show, but has now gone, well, I guess really viral, also meant that Basically, sensible precautions to control the spread of this disease weren't going to be put into place, except in cultures and countries where anti-communism and uh, a lack of political correctness allows them to make substantially decisive decisions without getting nagged at by this historical leftist press and so on. So you get places like South Korea, which are doing very smart and, and dedicated and detailed things to control the spread of this virus. And so because you don't have this um, leftist mentality of let's manage everyone's feelings rather than deal with actual illnesses, uh, that that was going to be uh, a big a big issue. Knowing that the Chinese government was going to lie about it, knowing that, of course, the, um, the transmission rates because of – it also goes to when I was in um, – this was a year and a half ago. I was in Australia for a speaking tour with Lauren Southern. And one of the one of the things that I noticed in Australia was we went to various uh, when I was taking when I had a little bit of time off between speeches I would go to some of the tourist exhibits and uh, they were all Chinese people. I think it was Puffing Billy. It was this old old fashioned train, and uh, my wife and my daughter and I were the only non Chinese people on the entire train. So when something comes from China. Um, it goes worldwide very, very quickly. Not Well, it certainly goes China-wide because of the Chinese New Year, but it goes worldwide because of the massive amounts of travel between China and the West, largely facilitated by Western governments wanting real estate prices to be propped up by people trying to slippery slide their money out of China. So that was uh, something else that gave me a real clue. And it was kind of funny just how all of these things came together to help me out with this kind of stuff. You know, the other thing too, this is not a conspiracy theory. I don't have any proof for it, but it's just a thought that I had that China's one-child policy has given China an enormously top-heavy, like inverted pyramid of a population. In other words, it, I mean, I think there was some minister in Japan that was lamenting the fact that old Japanese people just live in forever, right? It's all that diminutive size, high IQ and all fish diet. And so... Um, my question was, how decisively would a totalitarian government like China work to eliminate a disease that itself eliminates old people to a larger proportion than younger people? 
well, they're not going to work that hard. I'm not saying that they spread it in order to do that. I'm not saying that they're facilitating it spread because of that. But fighting something like this requires an extraordinary amount of extremely decisive, powerful, and often highly offensive willpower. And China just doesn't have the tax or demographic motives to contain this as much as it should. Now, we can see this, of course. Let me just look up a little website here. Sorry, I said I would get you a question. There's just something else that I wanted to add about this, which is that there are, West, uh, there are leftists uh, in, in the mainstream media that are talking about how coronavirus has a, an upside, which it tends to eliminate old people who themselves are climate change deniers, according to the left, right? Um, let me just uh, bring this up on the fly. And let's just see here. I just want to see if this just came out the last day or so. And uh, yeah, nothing in, in particular that is popping up here. Let me just try one other search engine. And then I promise I will get to your questions. Thanks for your patience. So yeah, this is, these are ways in which I was able to figure out that this was going to be a big deal. And also what else told me that it could be a very, very big deal was the fact So I talked about this. So it was last year that a bunch of Chinese scientists were escorted out of a lab in Canada, in Winnipeg, Winnipeg uh, in, in Canada, sorry, in Winnipeg is Canada's only level four biocontainment facility, bioresearch facility. And the fact that this was all taken out, that these people were taken out enormously quickly, was really, really quite something. And tells you a lot about where it might have come from and how it might have spread. So if there is a possibility that, and there certainly is a possibility, that the coronavirus, uh, um, COVID-19, novel coronavirus, that if this was grown in a lab, modified in a lab, weaponized in a lab, and then released, then it is, it's, it's really, it's kind of like the perfect virus to destroy an economy, right? So there's an old story, a real story, about what happened in the French resistance and in other resistance movements in, in the West. And the story is this, look, if you are a French resistance fighter trying to oust the Nazis from your country, you don't want to kill a German soldier. Because if you kill a German soldier, well, there's just a funeral and it's all done. What you want to do is wound that German soldier so that that wounding takes up precious resources that the occupying government has to use. So you will give him a, a stab wound in the belly so that the acid from his stomach leaks out, starts to harm his internal organs. Hopefully it doesn't kill him, but just puts him into a crisis mode. When it came to uh, the attack upon America that the uh, Islamic radicals, uh, formerly, of course, armed by the Americans to fight against the Russians in the, uh, at the, towards the end of the Cold War, and then turned against America, they were very, very specific that they knew they couldn't win against America militarily. So what they did was they wanted to provoke a disproportionate response to 9-11, which was going to bleed 
the American Treasury dry, and thus, like when uh, England, when Great Britain was bled dry by the second, first and Second World War, they had to give up the empire, and America will end up closing down its 700-plus military bases around the world when it runs out of money. And the best way, said the Islamic radicals, to get America to run out of money was to cause, uh, to provoke an attack which only cost about $200,000, $250,000 on 9-11, and it's been untold trillions of dollars that America has spent in response to that. And so asymmetrical economic warfare is the way to take down um, an enemy that you can't possibly fight on the battlefield, right? So you spend $200,000, $250,000 on 9-11, and you bleed the treasury dry of, what, $7, $8 trillion or more in the resulting wars in Afghanistan and um, uh, and Iraq and so on. And so that's how you take down a military power. It's been well known. This sort of guerrilla combat has been well known. And of course, you, you see it in Star Wars, to take a sort of silly example, that there's this rebel alliance uh, that uh, can't possibly take on the um, the uh, overwhelming military might of the empire. Uh, so they have to kind of do this sub, uh, subterfuge stuff and these desperate ploys of, you know, get the photon torpedo through the ray shield into the blast hole of the Death Star and so on. So you've got to do these kind of crazy moves. There's a lot of... There's a lot of um, espionage. There's a lot of subterfuge. And so if there was a weapon that you wanted to unleash to harm other people's economy, you couldn't do better than this kind of weapon because it is going to cause huge problems in supply chains. It's going to overwhelm and swamp the healthcare system. And you're going to have to spend an enormous amount of money. And so if there was a virus that was in Canada, which then ended up in China, and this is why these people were kicked out of the lab, their computers were sealed and so on, and also why you haven't heard anything about this since, and why they also referred to it, the RCMP, as an administrative matter. So that's, um, uh, that's nonsense, right? Uh, so this is another reason why uh, I had some suspicion. Okay, I found this. All right, so this is from the Times UK. And this is the... Uh, the lovely and empathetic Ed Conway, and this came out uh, two days ago. He said, uh, he said, don't take this the wrong way, but if you were a young hardline environmentalist looking for the ultimate weapon against climate change, you could hardly design anything better than coronavirus. Unlike most other diseases, it kills mostly the old, he said, who, let's face it, are more likely to be climate skeptics. It spares the young. Most of all, it stymies the forces that have been generating greenhouse gases for decades. Deadly enough to terrify, containable enough that aggressive quarantine measures can prevent it from spreading. The rational response for any country determined to prevent the loss of life is to follow China's lead and lock down their economy to stem its spread, airlines canceling flights, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so the rest of it's behind a paywall, and I'm not giving money to these psychos, uh, and I strongly suggest you don't either. So... Now, this, of course, there there have been reports that this is uh, satirical, uh, and so you know we'll uh, we'll see. That he says this is satirical. Check his account, and so you can determine whether or not this is real or not. So um, maybe it's satirical, but I've certainly seen a lot of posts along these lines, and there is a certain amount of uh, joy at uh, this stuff. And uh, you know, frankly. Uh, I wouldn't want to be working for an airline these days. So whether this is true or not uh, remains to be seen. Uh, people claim that it's satirical. We shall, we shall see. But all right. So thanks for that. Let's get to our uh, questions. If you have uh, any questions, um, I will uh, do my very best to answer them that have to do with, uh, with this coronavirus stuff. 
atmospheric CO2 is dangerously low. Increase your carbon footprint ASAP. Yeah. Well, so, of course, gosh, I mean, it's a little north of 440. No, sorry, a little north of 400 parts per billion parts per million, if I remember rightly, CO2. Uh, it was over 8,000 in the past, uh, and uh, life was was fine. Um, again, it's not to say we should always reduce pollution. When in my former life, I was an environmental software developer and designer. I co-founded a software company that helped large companies manage and reduce pollution. So I'm very big on reducing pollution. CO2, of course, is a greenhouse gas, but it's also plant food. And there are these cycles. We've had 20 times higher CO2 in the past. Life still survived. So um, that's kind of important. And of course, at around, I think it's around 170 parts per million of CO2, plant life fails. Like plants will die. They, They simply don't have enough CO2 to survive. And of course, if plant life dies, we all die. So there is a sort of tongue-in-cheek argument to make, which is that if um, if CO2, which was declining, a CO2 is constantly being robbed out of the out of the atmosphere, right? Because you, you, you go, go for a walk in the woods, right? What do you see, particularly after heavy snowfall or an ice storm or something like that? What do you see? Well, you see a bunch of trees have fallen over, and what happens is they slowly sink into the ground. Trees, of course, have a lot of CO2 in them, which they've taken out of the air and encapsulated in their bark and and, um, and wood. And so it's constantly sinking into the ground. This, uh, the, the world is constantly losing CO2. Now, of course, you get volcanoes and other things which are coughing CO2 back up, but um, CO2 is diminishing over time. And if you look at the long-term trends of CO2 in sort of multi-multi-millennia situations, multi-million years or hundreds of years, there's kind of this downward trend. It does sometimes go up and then it goes down again. And there was an argument to be made that human beings are actually kind of helping the planet because CO2 was was falling out of the atmosphere in fall. And of course, animals, right? A lot of CO2 in animals, carbon being the basis of life, they die and they um, they sort of sink into the ground and uh, all of that. And so the fact is that CO2 was diminishing. Human beings are doing a fairly decent service to the planet by digging CO2 uh, out of the ground, so to speak, and releasing it back into the air, which is helping the plants again. We should all be concerned with pollution, but not necessarily uh, plant food. Let's see here. Uh, let's see here. So somebody says, all unconfirmed stuff just in the, uh, in the, uh, in the chat. South Africa has a high HIV count. We just had our first case a few days ago. Our economy is collapsing. Society also seems to be collapsing. What to do? Yeah, well, South Africa, I've got a number of videos on South Africa. It is a disaster. Uh, And um, uh, if you can get out of South Africa, uh, you should do your very best to get out of South Africa. It's the rape capital uh, of of the world, uh, as far as I understand it. And um, it's, uh, it's a brutal country, massive amounts of debt. Uh, the um, the currency is losing value enormously. I think the gold reserves are mostly gone, and uh, it's not it's not coming back. Hey Steph, your thoughts on coronavirus reaching Montreal? I live here. Should I be worried? Well, see, here's the thing, right? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm a philosopher, but I will tell you this. So, worry is something that is designed. It's an emotion. It's an emotional experience of discomfort, right? And it's designed to get you to do something to ameliorate the worry. We don't develop worry. We didn't develop worry as a species for, um, for funds, right, for shites and giggles. We developed worry, in particular those who live in northern climates. So I'm thinking about sort of the northern Europeans, the uh, East Asians, like the Chinese and, and the Japanese who originated in um, Siberia, which has, of course, these Alexandra Solzhenitsyn-style gulag chilly winters. You're supposed to feel... Anxious, you're supposed to be worried. Do I have enough food to get through 
the stony iceberg of winter and survive with my family and children through spring. So worry is actually a very healthy and helpful emotional state. But what you have to do when you uh, experience significant worry, in my humble opinion, what you have to do is you have to either act on the worry or find ways to dismiss the worry within you, right? So if you're worried, oh, do I have enough food if there's an interruption in the food supply chain, which I think somewhat likely, well, then go buy some food. <laughs> go, go buy some food. There's tons of places you can order food that can last you 20 years online. And go buy some food and feel better. Or if you are going too far in the worry side, like there is obsessive compulsive disorder and there's germophobia and there's ways in agoraphobia, fear of going outside and so on, which are all the people who are probably going to survive. <laughs> we can see a massive genetic increase in these things. But uh, so to do something about your worry or find ways to talk yourself out of it. And if you can't talk yourself out of it, do something that's going to appease your worry, so to speak. It's really, really important. It's there to help you. It's not there to just make your life difficult. All right. Let's see here. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, um, Iran and China, I mean, Iran has a large number of cases. They've lost some senior government people. And so Iran and its relationship to China, you know, all of these nasty countries, I mean, Iran being a theocratic dictatorship of the Islamic side and China being a um, dictatorship of the communist side, there's a lot that they have in common, which is why these sort of the Green-Red Alliance is very strong, environmentalists plus communists, because environmentalists have dictatorial streaks based upon the emergency disaster scenarios they spin out in their lurid end-of-the-world revelation-style fantasies, and why the left doesn't criticize Islamic dictatorships, Islamic theocratic dictatorships, because, you know, oppressive people have a lot in common, and they're all allied against us who just want to live and be free. And so China and Iran have had a lot of contact and have worked together. And who knows, maybe there was some way that the virus, maybe it went from Canada to China to Iran. Maybe it was uh, from a Chinese bat, which I don't think is the case, but maybe it went from a Chinese bat to Chinese people to Iran through shared knowledge of uh, weaponry. Who knows, right? Who knows? But uh, it's, uh, it's not good. And these kinds of situations, I'll just tell you, like sort of big picture stuff, this is, I guess, what the head of Intel used to call a strategic inflection point. And what that means this is when like an unstoppable force is hitting an immovable object. The same thing happened with the Black Death in Europe. The Black Death in Europe laid the foundation for the modern world because it killed a lot of people who weren't careful. It kills lower IQ people in general. It killed a lot of people and thus the remaining people who were alive were able to negotiate with their local lords for much freer situations, much better working conditions. It broke the power of the medieval guilds. It broke the power of the monarchy. It broke the death grip of religious extremism on the mind of Europe and really laid the foundations for the modern world. It'd be great. It would be great if people learn through reason and evidence. Sometimes they just need to learn through bitter experience. So this is a situation where very few countries in the world will end up the same after this, the progress of this. And I believe, of course, coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 is going to end up as just a permanent fixture in the human landscape. And it's funny too, like I tweeted this and bitter, bitter, funny stuff, right? Two tweets from, from yesterday. One was, uh, I've been deplatformed, I'm a strong anti-communist, and I've been deplatformed by communists from public speaking with death and bomb threats and, and threats of violence against those who host me coming to speak. So there's a lot of uh, violence uh, in, in that faces me when I try to go to speak out, as I do sometimes, against uh, communism and uh, socialism as well, which is just, you know, like, socialism is to communism as pre-diabetes is to 
diabetes or a bullet flying through the areas before its impact in your skull. But uh, yeah, so communists deplatformed me. Now a communist government is kind of deplatforming everyone because all of these events are being uh, canceled. So um, that's sort of one uh, kind of an important perspective to have on this kind of stuff. And I'm sure the other tweet will come back to me. Is Italy being too honest with its reporting compared to the rest of Europe? Yeah, this is interesting too. So do you know that the Spanish flu actually came from China as well? Kind, kind of, right? Cousin marriage cultures give us genetic deformities. Africa gives us a lot of diseases. But a lot of the viruses come from China because, you know, not the most sanitary country in the world. They have all the rice farming, which, of course, uh, is this deep water and virus-prone um, uh, growing situation. So um, it was called the Spanish flu because Spain was one of the few countries that didn't suppress the reporting of this um, Chinese virus that spread worldwide. And of course, the Black Death uh, came from China as well. Um, and uh, through the Silk Road on the backs, on the lice, on the backs of fleas, if I remember rightly, so bonnet clay also came from China. China, it's just the gift that keeps on giving, my friends. <laughs> what can we do? Uh, the other thing too, let me mention this as well. I'm sorry, glasses on, glasses off. But uh, when do societies change? Well, it would be nice if they changed according to intellectual pursuits, intellectual arguments like the ones that I make. But but how and why do societies change? Well, they change because an existing mythology of security gets shattered by the incompetence of those in charge. Right? So how was the near monopoly power of the intellectual life of the West, of, of Western Europe in particular, how was that broken by the Black Death? Well, because people said, well, the church is in charge of the salvation of our souls, the wages of sin is death, and priests died the most because they were going from deathbed to deathbed to deathbed, so priests were just wiped out. You had a whole priestly class that was wiped out. And people said, you know what? The church is not keeping us safe. Something bad is happening. The, the, the church is not keeping us safe. Following the dictates of the church, following the dictates of the Catholic churches that stood at the time obeying the orders of Christendom is not keeping us safe. So then people start to say, well, what else could do it? Now, if you look at the countries, they've said, and this is very much the case in China, they said, okay, well, we will give up a lot of our rights just in return for security and economic opportunity, right? That's the way that the rulers work is they say, well, and this goes all the way back to the founding of the manorial system after the fall of Rome, when you had a bunch of warlords going around killing, raping, stealing food, and so on, people had to band together under a local lord and would surrender a certain amount of their labor in return for the military protection of the local lord against the random raiders. In other words, you had a predictable and stable transfer of wealth from the farmers to the lord rather than a random and unsurvivable transfer of resources from some farmer to some local warlord who would come and take all his food in the fall to feed his soldiers, and then the guy starves to death. So people will give up a certain amount of income in return for security and economic opportunity. Now, what's happening in China in particular, economic opportunity is, is collapsing because the factories are shut and, and um, the supply chains are disrupted and the whole economic activity is slowing down. I'm sure that the Chinese... Airlines like airlines around the world, which operate on a very thin profit margin, are going to need some bailouts from the government. So what's happening there, of course, is that people are not getting the economic opportunity and the security that they gave up their liberties to achieve. This is the fundamental social contract is, okay, I don't like my taxes, I'll pay my taxes. I don't like all the restrictions uh, on my 
economic opportunities. I may even give up certain rights of free speech. But what I want in return is economic opportunity and security. Now, if the government is unable to provide economic opportunity and or security, usually those two things are two sides of the same coin, well, what happens? Well, people no longer accept the loss of their freedoms, right? If you give up your freedoms for making money and stability and you don't get those freedoms and you don't get the security, well... Things change, and they can change very, very rapidly. This is a world-changing event. This is not, um, of course, limited to China. This is not uh, limited to coronavirus. This is not, I mean, it is a worldwide change event, which is why I've been talking about it so, so much. All right, let's get to another couple of questions. I appreciate everyone's interest and intent at the point, at the moment here. All right, uh, let's see here. Yeah, so Russia, what was it, 2,300-mile border with China. Russia just closed the border, and they've had virtually no infections, right? So that there's a reason why the left hates Russia so much. They're, they're, I mean, Russia, I mean, go look up what happened when Islamic radicals tried to take over a theater in Russia and hold a bunch of hostages. I mean, the Russians just went in and told the whole place. The Russians are very decisive when it comes to battling this kind of stuff. And um, and what's going to happen, of course, when you have these open societies with all of this diversity and, and let's not restrict anyone coming into the country and open borders and open borders and open borders. Well, um, I think people were relatively okay from an economic standpoint with mass immigration into the West if it propped up their real estate values, which for the boomers it did, right? Because you boomers didn't have a whole bunch of kids. Uh, birth rates are down, which means that housing prices should be collapsing, but they're being propped up because we saw in 07, 08 that the system, the economic capitalism house of cards can't survive a drop in housing prices. And so people were relatively okay with open borders when it was propping up the value of their real estate and also from the um, economic management class, right, from the highfalutin Robert Barron capitalists, which is not free market or capitalism, but crony capitalism. Those guys were okay with open borders as long as it was driving down the wages of their employees, right? Just import masses of people, supply and demand, uh, an excess supply of low-skilled or medium-skilled workers just drives down the cost of labor and really crushes the poor in the West and crushes the opportunities of the poor in the West. So open borders, yeah, you know, it's uh, old people were fine, keeps up the value of real estate, the capitalist ruling classes, the uh, economic elites, the Wall Street guys were okay, happy with it because it kept down um, uh, the price of labor and allowed them to milk more money out of a savage lower economic class. But, you know, when open borders is now getting people killed by the thousands or possibly by the tens of thousands or even higher then people are going to be like, ooh, open borders. Wait, open borders includes coronavirus? Ah, well, you see, now, well, then what happens is it begins to negatively impact the powers that be, right? So before, they're fine with it. You get to buy the votes of the boomers by propping up the real estate values. You get to buy the votes of Wall Street by driving down the wages of workers. And most people can't follow these breadcrumbs, of course, in effect. So they're just like, yeah, well, we're just going to call anybody who wants close borders to be a racist, anybody who wants a, diminu uh, a diminution of mass migration to be a racist. And, you know, but, but when it actually starts to hit people in the reels rather than the feels, then you'll find them changing their perspectives and opinions very, very quickly. So, yeah, this is a big, 
uh, a big change. Are kids more susceptible? I have not. The last time I checked, and again, please verify everything that I'm saying. The last I had checked, there had not been young uh, uh, victims. I mean, I'm sure they've gotten sick, but I don't think any young people have died about all of this. $500 million divided by 380 million people equals $1 million for everybody. Um, yeah, I don't think it's 380. But anyway, yeah, it's, uh, I did a whole video on this. Uh. All right. Um, oh, yeah. So you you have countries like Russia that are authoritarian and they're able to close their borders. They're able to, I mean, in China at the moment, there are reports that you got to scan your phone to get places that are actually tracking people. And it's very authoritarian and it's pretty negative in a lot of ways. Um, but of course, totalitarian governments love disasters because they get to rank up, ramp up their totalitarian controls. But um, what's going to happen, of course, is that people are going to look at a country like Russia and say, well, I mean, Americans have been desperate, desperate to close the southern border, the border with Mexico, for decades, like for decades, long before Ann Coulter wrote her book, Adios America, the, I mean, I, I interviewed a guy in California who was part of a militia group that was trying to close the border back in the day. So Americans have been absolutely desperate to close the southern border with Mexico for decades. And, you know, finally, there's a little bit of money. It got wedged out of the Pentagon budget and they're building a little bit down south. But, you know, it's kind of slow and it's kind of painful and lots of um, resistance from judges in Hawaii. But anyway, so... What happens is that people look at the American government and say, you guys can't get done what we need to get done. They look at the Russian government and they say, holy crap, you guys can just close your border. 2,300 miles with China, just close your border and no one's getting through. Or they look at uh, uh, places like uh, Hungary and, and Poland that have closed their borders to this mass migration of people coming in from Somalia and Afghanistan and Iran and, and uh, other places, you know, a couple of Syrians sprinkled in for vague media credibility. But they look at the paralysis, bipartisan paralysis or multipartisan paralysis of modern death spiral democracy. And they say, well, this inclusion, this everybody gets consulted. Now nothing can get done and, and people are dying. And so that's when they run to a strong man or a strong woman, usually a strong man, and try and get um, things done that will save their lives that way. Okay, let's do a couple more questions. Again, wonderful to meet uh, all your new people. Thank you so much for dropping by. Let's see here. Yeah, antibiotics don't do anything against viruses, never have. That is correct. That is, But of course, if, you're, if your virus has weakened your immune system, antibiotics can work, as far as I understand it, against the secondary infections that come about. Uh, the huge... Mater Hospital in Brisbane, Queens, Brisbane, I know how to say that because I was there. The huge Mater Hospital in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia has just been quarantined due to high staff infection yesterday. I live just outside Brisbane. Let's see here. I work as a bartender. Oh, I just lost that one. I work as a bartender at a popular destination in Denver, Colorado. When do you think I would be able to go to work? Well, um, I don't know. I don't know. Um... I'm a better safe than sorry kind of guy. This just comes from, again, Northern European prepare for winter genetics, perhaps, or culture or whatever. But um, 
I would just say that you should always have some money squirreled away. You should always have some extra food squirreled away, whatever it is you might need to defend yourself squirreled away. But um, I would say uh, stay home. Uh, if you have to go to work, just keep your hands clean. Don't touch your face. Don't touch your eyes. All that kind of stuff, right? Somebody has, says here, you cannot apply exponentialism to virology. Top expert professor Christian Drosten of the Berlin Charité, expert in this field, warned against this. Why don't you speak to a virologist? Well, you know, email him and set it up. I'd be happy to speak with him. I'm passing this along because uh, the expertise of the crowd. Do you ever answer Discord questions during the live chat? Um, I actually, I got some notice of dropped frames. So I did close down Discord. For those who don't know... Um, if you're new to this conversation, as of course thousands of you are today, uh, please enjoy. Um, I don't, as you can see, I don't do ads. Uh, I don't have sponsors. I simply rely on donations from my listeners to do the work that I do. So you can go to freedomain.com forward slash donate. Uh, I guess the, uh, <laughs> the URL is below. You can go to freedomain.com forward slash donate to help out the show. If you do it through Subscribestar, you set up a um, subscription, then you get access to our private Discord server, and um, that's where I generally do a bunch of uh, questions. Let me just have a quick look now and see if there's anything. So, yes, I guess I do now. Thank you for reminding me. Nothing that I can see at the moment. So, yeah, but there's lots of people chatting in there. If you want to learn more about philosophy and have a nice community, it's really, really great. Taiwan has used big data with success fighting COVID-19. I'm sure that they have. I'm not new, but I never make your live streams. Well, you know, the other thing, too, is that um, I normally do stuff in the evening because a lot of my listeners are sort of on Eastern Standard or Central or Pacific. But I have all these wonderful listeners in um, Europe, and I wanted to do a live stream at a time when they could actually sort of make it. Do you think Tommy Robinson is going back to jail? Oh, man, the fact that he's trying to protect his kid from a molester and he himself gets arrested. Well, we've seen this before in the... Um, We've seen this before in the history of the UK when you get this Pakistani, largely Muslim rape gangs prowling through the neighborhoods, uh, attacking uh, mostly little white British girls and some Sikh girls and so on, and this, this rape gangs and grooming gangs and so on, pedophile gangs. It's monstrous. This was covered up for decades, covered up for decades. And people, men who know, like fathers who know where their daughters are being held and raped by these gangs have gone there and tried to deal with it. And they themselves, the fathers, that is, have been arrested for Disturbing the peace. And, um, I mean, it's got to change. It's got to change. All right. Yeah, somebody says he was not charged as far as I know. So, Germany is hiding the deaths. Well, <laughs> wouldn't be the first time. All right. Yeah, the boy, that Epstein thing went away pretty quickly, didn't it? Yeah. Um, African listeners, too. Hi. Hi, African listeners. Stay safe. Stay safe. Do you feel safe in Canada? Uh, I feel safe in my studio. And let's put it this way. I'm not doing a whole bunch of outside engagements at the moment and uh, all of that. So do you think coronavirus is an excuse for the coming financial crisis? Well, it's interesting because, I mean, the Western quote, economic system, it really is a house of cards built upon debt, predation of the young, uh, and the mass counterfeiting of imaginary currency called central banking. And so there will be, like, when there's a crisis that occurs, you can get a correction in the marketplace without people blaming the um, 
without people blaming the current rulers, because the current rulers have a scapegoat called, well, there's a correction in the market because of coronavirus. So they will definitely use that uh, as, as an excuse and so on, right? Fear and anxiety lower your immunity. Well, you know, this is true. I mean, the relationship between um, Dr. Gabra Mate, M-A-T-E, uh, has been on the show a couple of times. He's got a great book about uh, the body and stress and response and immunosuppression from stress and so on. Uh, get, get, get sleep, you know, get sleep. Let, let me stay up and um, look all this stuff up. Get some sleep because sleep is very important in maintaining your immune system as far as I understand it. But again, check with your local Google search. All right. Uh, not Google search. Duck, duck, go. Have you heard the hypothesis that this was a SARS-CoV-1 vaccine gone bad? Well, you know, we're probably never going to find out the source of these things. I mean, I'm sure everything's been shredded or destroyed or whatever, and uh, there is not uh, anything that's uh, going on. That's Nobody's, nobody's going to find out. There are some people out there with a bad conscience who have, uh, I'm sure, gotten rid of any facts that uh, could help us, right? If coronavirus was an STD, I would suspect Epstein. Well, that's a That's a chilling statement. Sleep and proper nutrition. Yes, that is very, very important. All right. Well, listen, guys, I'm going to uh, stop here. I just wanted to uh, thank everyone, of course, for dropping by. Uh, wonderful to meet all y'all. Uh, freedomain.com to check out the website. Um, I've got documentaries up there and uh, a blog. I really do appreciate everyone coming by. If you've been listening for a while and find this stuff useful, I would really, really appreciate if you could drop by and help out at um, freedomain.com forward slash donate. The link, of course, is right there in the bottom left. Uh, it's a great pleasure to chat with you guys. I thank you, as always, for giving me the opportunity to be front and center and helping the world in this way. Boy, it was helpful when I was talking about Bitcoin low those many years ago, but talking about this stuff may be, well, more helpful considerably. So thanks, everyone, so much. freedomain.com forward slash donate. Don't forget about my debate tonight with a communist. It'll be right here on this channel. And lots of love from here. I will talk to you guys soon.